Can't say anything about this on the air, but it would seem that there are some uh, Gerard at Large connections at work in this effort, which makes me uh, happy to know it. Because after all, our goal is to connect local people, places, and things, right? That's right. Cool. It's it's fun learning about this stuff. So, so you're you're basically you know, and the funny thing is is. You know, we, we, we so often take a look at something that's not working well. We're with John Liskars, former Hooksit school board member, talking about his new bottoms up edu- a bottom-up education initiative. He kind of gave us a rundown of what it looks like and how it will work uh, in the first segment. And uh, so if you have questions, comments, 606-6762, just give us a shout. That's 606-6762. So, so often, and, and, you know, I've noticed this, especially in my time on the school board. We take a look at something that's not working well, and our answer seems to be, let's fiddle around the margins. Uh, or, and, and to some degree, especially when you come to sort of like uh, organizational operations, there's some, there's some merit to you know, fixing what's not working the way it should. But when you start to see systemic failure, um, when you start to see that things across the spectrum are just, you know, aren't functioning, then you have to ask yourself, is it the people? Is it the system? Is it the general paradigm? Is, you know, has the model become obsolete? And if so, what are the, what are, what are the key players in the current model and what needs to be done in the next? So I guess what I'm curious about, John, is how did you come to the conclusion or what conclusion did you come to about the current mode of education? And what were your factors? What what things do you think need to be incorporated in the new model, and what factors need to be dismissed? Well, as do, I, do you understand the thrust of the question there? Yeah, I do. I'm not sure if I'm intelligent enough to answer, but I'll give it a shot. Um, you know, if you right as a, at the beginning of my document, uh, the white paper, I talk about 1979, which a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, it was 1979. The President Jimmy Carter created the Department of Education, which used to be a division of the Department of Health, Education, and no welfare, welfare before yeah. then. Yeah, that, so, was, that was a big giveaway to the National Education Association. So the, the point here is, is this top-down government model has been in place for quite a while, uh, but it was really solidified by, by Jimmy Carter. And in our history, it's very, very close to w- where we are right now. What mm-hmm. I mean by that is it's not that far back when this uh, Department of Education was created. So for people that say, wow, you can't touch the Department of Education because it's been in place for so long, it really hasn't. But it has blossomed into this behemoth of a, an organization. And the Department of Education is probably not going to be happy with my model. And I'm sure I have some fights ahead of me uh, to get this model through the country. But you know what? I'm not going to fight this fight alone. I'm going to fight this fight with the help of teachers shoulder to shoulder with me because the teachers are the innovative product here. The teachers are the ones creating the uh, educational opportunities for our children. But right now they're handcuffed. Yeah, Uh, I I have to admit that one of the things that, um, dare I say, disappoints me about teachers is, and and I don't, I don't, it it disappoints me, but I don't blame them because I've seen it at work here in the city. I can't tell you how many you know, how many teachers I've spoken to in confidence about what's happening in a, you know, with a certain, you know, uh, with a certain person or in a certain place or in their classroom with the materials that the district giveth and taketh away and all or how many times I've received an anonymous letter. And we saw when Kelly Tamboris, for example, came forward, she was a second grade teacher at the McDonough Elementary School and basically said all of this crazy testing which thanks to Dr. Vargas and the staff that he administered, uh, he assembled, 
you know, completely uh, w- did away with all of this crap testing that the district was doing in favor of a standardized, uniform way of not only testing kids to see how they're personally growing, but being able to aggregate those results so we can look at the schools and determine which of the programs in the schools are working because we now have a uniform basis in all of our elementary and middle schools. Phenomenal stuff. But when Kelly Tamboris came forward to basically say that all the testing that the district, the states, the feds, and everybody had jammed down her eight-year-old, seven- and eight-year-old kids' throats were literally making them sick in the classroom, and it was unmanageable, she, I, it, she was gone within a year. She ended up taking leaves of absences. She ended up retiring because she was so harassed and hassled that she couldn't deal with it. And, you know, mysteriously, you know, people from the State Department of Education were showing up to inspect her classroom and and, and things like that. Right. So uh, what was the union's response to that? Oh, well, the problem is not all of the testing that the teacher just pointed out was a disaster for her kids. It was that was insufficient staff to babysit the kids in the class while she was doing the testing. And I, I, I just saw that as what I would it, it summarize in two words is epic fail. And, and the teachers who are in, in the second most affected by this, because the most affected by this are the kids. Correct. Right. So that, uh, but the teachers yeah, I can't tell you how many teachers have told me that, you know what, I just close my door and I do what I think is going to be right anyway. Okay, I can take a look at that. But what I said to one of the teachers I was talking to, I said, so what happens when these kids start coming into your AP class and they just can't do the work because they're not being prepped for it? He said, well, that's happening now. We just have to find a way to get them caught up. Right. And meanwhile, you get the union breathing down the neck of anybody that dares to uh, raise issues with what the union has backed, like with Common Core, right? Um, because they become the enemy within the organization. They become singled out. And they become harassed. I just, it's, it's awful. So, Rich, um, one, one thing I do, I, I, uh, I always take mental notes as I go along through life. And as a school board member, I did the same thing. Um, and I had many conversations with teachers, and uh, I really tried to learn what it was that was handcuffing them. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't believe all the teachers that were coming up to me talking about how Common Core was failing the children in the classroom and, and how upset they were that they had to teach certain aspects of Common Core. And um, so I was like, well, yeah, then get on board with me. Let's change it. Let's do away with Common Core. Well, no. Well, why not? Here's here's the here's what the teachers run into, Rich. If you just wait patiently, the model will change about every five years. If if it goes that long, and we've seen that in all over the place. So so if you're drinking from the fire hose, like like the <laughs> teachers are, and somebody says, "Hey, why let's, put up a fuss? It's going to change." Anyway. Exactly. Right. That's the that's the mentality that I've run into, and I totally Fair. understand. I I understand their focus, Rich is those little bodies in their classrooms. How are they going to make a difference in their lives on a daily basis? That is a teacher's number one priority. And I'll tell you, I've met very few teachers who don't take to heart the education of their children. So this model right now is not something that's a conservative model or a liberal model. It's a Democrat, Republican, independent model. This is something we should all get behind if we support the concept of teachers and parents, school board members and master teachers being involved in the education of our children. And well, you I, know, one of the concerns too, John, and I don't know if or how you address this, um, is 
what teachers are being taught. Last night when we were discussing the uh, next generation science standards for the middle schools, it was said that, uh, and they were very artful in how they said it because one of my one of my pointed critiques of the process was, you know, this was a closed committee of teachers who uh, whose work was not subject to broader vantage points, whether it was higher ed, whatever. So what they said is, oh yeah. And it sounded like, well, once we did the standards, um, you know, we, we had UNH in Southern New Hampshire take a look at them. And Southern New Hampshire is already training its teachers to teach the next generation science standards when they graduate from school, from their school of education. So if if the colleges that are pumping out these teachers are, are training them, you know, in the latest and greatest fad like next gen or the common core, um, and that changes in three to five years and goes away. Where does that leave the teacher? And, and really, do we also need to look at some point? I know this is probably beyond your scope here. But do we need to take a look at how teachers are actually trained? Because it seems to me that uh, a lot of teachers graduate from school without a clue of what they're doing and completely incapable of applying themselves to whatever changes may be, uh, uh, may be had because of the latest, greatest fad. Right. Well, so right now the model addresses, you know, we, we can only fix one person or one problem at a time, but don't worry. <laughs> I have been thinking about all these different ideas, Rich. Um, the model first will just basically uh, want to save and rescue the public school system. That's the number one goal. Um, in but, what form, though? Uh, in, in, a, in a competitive form so that uh, people want to, you know, choose to send their kids there and want to have them be there? Yes. You, you're you're going to see the public school system compete with private school system. Mm-hmm. Um, where you already see it. I mean, if you look at the, uh, we know enrollments down everywhere, correct? Well, sure. At least in the state of New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, but you look at a school like Trinity high school, Trinity high school used to have no problem populating its halls, mm-hmm. uh, full of students, the choice model in hooks and I mean, I'm, I'm, that's why I said there is also a general decline of students. So we can't take all the credit for this. And, and it's not that I wanted to, that hooks it to take credit for, but it's just something that is happening in the current model of school choice. When you have an opportunity that is as good or better than your private school choice, and you can save that tuition money by making that choice, guess what? Parents are going to do it. So in right. other words, if you have a chance to go to Londonderry or Bow or Pembroke Academy or Goffstown or Manchester schools, and their product is as good or better than what you're going to get at Trinity, why would you spend the $40,000 or plus on your child's education when you can save that money and apply it to college? That's the future of education and public education, Rich. Our public school systems are going to be so competitive that the, the problem that is going to be seen is going to be from the private school's perspective. They're going to see a huge decrease in their right. enrollment, and that means their costs are going to have to yeah. come down for the child to attend there. Right. And while the Catholic schools in the, in the state, and I think generally have seen this with the rise of charter schools, if you take a look at it, uh, you know, the ones, yes, public school students have gone to charter schools or traditional government-run schools have gone to charter schools, but the, the Catholic schools have taken a huge hit. Uh, you know, I, I, my daughter was at the Founders Academy for a while. I can't tell you how many parents I know used to send their kids to a Catholic school, but are sending them to the charter school instead because, A, it's not costing them anything, and B, it's uh, relatively close educationally to, they want, to what they want for their kids. And so now the Catholic schools uh, are, are having to find a way to compete uh, to attract those students because their competitive edge in that marketplace has... Um, 
lost ground to the rise of charter schools. Sure. And I mean, one thing we can't forget, which uh, some parents have definitely called me out on with regards to Catholic education, especially um, the reason they chose a Catholic education was so that their children would get some religious education. And that's the environment they want their child to be. And so the religious schools will always have uh, a good competitive model. Um, as society goes sideways, they're always going to keep on a straighter path. And I think that's really important. That's worth money to parents. Mm-hmm. I think where the private schools have gone awry is in what they charge per student. Now, something like Trinity is yeah. pretty reasonable. Uh, when, you, when you look at the cost of an education, you know, about $11,000, $12,000, they're right in that ballpark. But you look at a school like Derryfield, for example, I don't know. I think they're up to thirty grand right now for a child. Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven grand. So it was twenty-five when I was looking back in two thousand twelve. Right. So, but you know what? The, but the Derryfield school ain't looking for the. Uh, uh, it, it's not looking for that average ordinary parent. It's it's looking for that that sort of elite, you know, upper class. And there's nothing wrong with this, but it's looking for the, the you know the group of people that can charge that $37,000. Personally, I'm not sure the education's worth it from what I've seen and know, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I know of a lot of the graduates that have come out of there, and they've got, I think, a wonderful education, so I, I have nothing bad to say about uh, I'm not Derek saying Hill. it's not. I'm not saying it's not wonderful. I'm just saying I don't think it's $40,000 worth. I, and I agree with you there. Um, the other thing, though, there are opportunities for the other end of the spectrum. So the, the, the kid that's in the middle, not so much, right. but the kid that's at the lower end, of, as far as an income for the family, they also are getting some great opportunities at Derryfield as well. So we can't yeah. overlook that. Um, I'd like to bring it down, though, to... Uh, to be competitive with the public school model and give more opportunities to those middle-of-the-road kids right. uh, that don't have a chance because they don't have the financials to go there. Gotcha. All right, so, John, we're, uh, believe it or not, uh, just about out of time here, so I'll let you wrap up on Bottoms Up Education, how people can learn more, how they can get involved, and all that fun stuff. The simplest way is just go to www.bottomupeducation.com. Uh, there you can subscribe to an email list. We'll keep you updated uh, almost on a weekly basis of what kind of progress we're making with the alpha and beta models. Um, you'll be able to test drive the software out there. Go ahead, go ahead and see what it's like to go into the database as a teacher. Um, and, and again, it's ideas I'm looking for. If you have a great idea, if you're a teacher and you know what it's like to be handcuffed and you want to see something in this model specific, um, I'll give you a great example. I had a teacher tell me recently, I want to be anonymous in your system. And I said, that's a great point because it's scary, but the teachers fear some of the administration and the, how the administration, not in this school district, but in other school districts, and they're fearful about what the administration might say or do about their ideas. Mm-hmm. So we're going to basically have a, um, a login username that you can go by instead of your real name. So hide your identity, but your idea will still be able to get populated. Yeah, well, and, that, and that to me is actually one of the, the things that I found most surprising and troubling about uh, about schools and how they operate is how much the system is governed by fear of reprisal or recrimination or ostracization by teachers who don't like what's going on um, uh, and won't speak up because they're afraid of the reprisals, either from the bureaucracy or the union or both. And that is a real problem throughout education um, that uh, hopefully your system here will Will help. Um, will help overcome. 
Well, ideally, they'll be able to use this system outside the framework of their union or their school. Um, this is something that they'll be able to get into and and use. Um, and eventually, when the superintendents and the principals see the rise in test scores, they're going to be on board as well because it just makes logical sense that this system is just a system of a database of great ideas, helpful tools for the teachers that are innovative to use those ideas. Unfortunately, those teachers who aren't innovative, who won't use new ideas, they're going to fall by the wayside in this model because this is going to reward innovation and good ideas. That means you're the enemy of public schools, John, but that's okay because right now in their current incarnation, they deserve an enemy or two, especially when that's trying to reform it so that uh, the children are the beneficiaries. So once again, thanks for uh, taking the time to be with us here on the Dread Large Radio Show to once again share another educational innovation. You, after all, and David Pearl are largely responsible for bringing that whole choice model to Hooksit. And um, I, as, as stated, I think it's a great thing for the parents and the kids in Hooksit to have those choices, and hopefully you'll be equally successful with this. Rich, uh, I just want to say on behalf of a lot of people out there, we're going to miss this radio show. <laughs> it's been a great, uh, as you say, a great way to connect local people with each other. Um, but we know that there's something bigger and better for you out there, and we're all going to be praying for you. Well, John, I appreciate that very much. We're going to take a final check for whatever it is we can do between now and the top of the hour and come back with a preview of tomorrow's Dizzy Busy Show. We're not done yet. Stay with us. Alrighty, folks, tomorrow we'll be in studio with one of our very favorite people on the planet. Actually, several of our favorite people on the planet. Ed Nail joins us for a question of voter fraud. Of course, he's the chairman of the Coalition of New Hampshire Taxpayers, Judy Lubier, whose name makes me smile just as it flows from my lips, will be with us for Caring for Seniors. And his honor, the mayor, Ted Gatsis, will join us for his uh, final appearance here on the Dread at Large radio show uh, also, just a programming note, uh, some of our former segment anchors like John DePietro have said, hey, can we come back for old time's sake? So those of you uh, interested in web savvy can tune in Thursday morning at 640. That and oh, so much more. For the entire team here at Dread Large, I am your ever humble host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. Until tomorrow, be good, be well. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. We're proud to have in the audience. Thanks for being there. Please remember our sponsors. Give them the first opportunity to earn your business and let them know you heard about them on Drought at Large. It matters. Be good, everyone.